What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right and wrong. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Welcome to Right and Wrong. This is the show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me as always over there is my friend and yours, producer Juice. He's known out there as the king of drops, the truth box, uh, just because he speaks the truth all day, every day. So, my man, truth box, what do you get to say to all the people out there in the right and wrong audience today, buddy? On Memorial Day, we pause to remember those members of our armed forces who have preserved our liberty and our freedom by making the supreme sacrifice. While we Americans traditionally celebrate this day with picnics and parades, and while we think of this day as the unofficial beginning of summer, we know it is also a time of somber but inspiring memories. Memories of so many courageous Americans who, while wearing our country's uniform, fought and died so that we could enjoy the blessings of this day, so that we could live in peace and freedom. Today we pay solemn tribute to our fallen countrymen. We know we can never give them as much as they gave us, but we also know that our generation and succeeding generations can, by keeping the flame of freedom burning brightly, ensure that they did not die in vain. As we observe this Memorial Day by remembering our fallen patriots, Let us also remember that preserving the peace and preventing war mean keeping our armed forces as strong and ready as they are today. Let us honor the memory of those who gave their last full measure of devotion by rededicating ourselves to what they died for, for a strong America, for the cause of freedom. Absolutely. Always a pleasure to hear from you. Great stuff as usual. Keep it coming. Uh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Well, today, we got a jam-packed show, as usual. Uh, It took us a little while to get to the recording this week. Sorry about that. But as you know, we did do that move from South Carolina up to Massachusetts here. So it has been pretty hectic for the Ruka household. Well, today, we will be talking about Governor Ron DeSantis and his announcing of uh, his bid for President of the United States. We get something from our boy Vivek Ramaswamy. John Fetterman also tries to string together a coherent sentence and fails. And uh, there is a race-based murder that happened in the state of Louisiana that I'm sure you probably haven't heard about from the mainstream media. Also in our Come On Men segment of the day, we will be visiting a state senator from Nebraska who really just thinks that trans people do exist. And uh, she's going to let us know about that in a very articulate and intelligent way. Well, I guess with that being said, it is time where I do ask you guys to please subscribe to the show. Give us a five-star rating out there. Uh, You know, let everybody else that you know know about us so that we can help the show grow. And now it is that time in the show where we get to call in our good friend, Mr. Ric Flair, because it is showtime, baby. Woo! Showtime! Woo! Woo! I wasn't old enough to vote yet, but the 2000 presidential election was probably the first one that I paid a little attention to. At the time, I remember finding it weird that Mr. The Polar Ice Caps Are Melting himself, Al Gore, refused to accept his defeat. 
In the years that followed, you'd hear often about how George W. Bush was an illegitimate president. Sour grapes and grumbling from the loser is a tale as old as time, I get that. But, as technology advances and our political climate becomes more divided, casting doubt on our elections is becoming much more realistic. When I say that, I mean that the grumbling is no longer just sour grapes. Nowadays, when the doubt is cast on an election, there happens to be some merit behind the claim. We'll use the story of former U.S. attorney for the state of Massachusetts, Rachel Rollins, to help us illustrate this point. But we'll get to that in just a minute. Before we get to the current election confidence, or shall I say, lack thereof, I can't help but look back and put the blame on radical Democrats for getting us to this point. I already mentioned the Al Gore nonsense and the claims that George W. wasn't the legitimate president. Now you could fast forward past the eight-year run by Obama because nobody cried that he didn't defeat the two rhinos that were in his way. After Obama, now comes Trump and the 2016 election. I think you can find Democrats out there that are still denying those results. They tried to impeach the man for working with the Russians in an attempt to steal the election. That was their story. You guys remember all this. The whole not-my-president stuff. And Trump's a Russian stooge. You remember people saying that? It was endless, and it still goes on today. This narrative completely undermined the guy's entire presidency. And we found out a couple of weeks ago that it was all a lie. It was an FBI investigation into the opposing party's political nominee based on false information provided by the opponent's campaign team. The information that started the investigation was known to be false by the FBI and the sitting president at that time, Mr. Barack Obama. And the investigation was greenlit anyways. The investigation was conducted for one purpose and one purpose only, to affect the results of the upcoming 2016 presidential election. The Hillary campaign was leaking to the media that Trump was working with Russia, They were also pressuring their friends in the White House and in the deep state to look into the Trump campaign. The media, the FBI, and the Democratic Party worked as a three-headed monster to influence the American voters into believing that Trump was trying to steal the election, when in fact, it was the left trying to steal it the whole time. If there's one thing you need to learn about the left, it's that whatever they are trying to do and crying about and accusing the right of doing, They're the ones that are actually doing it instead. And the scary part is that look how long it takes to peel back the layers of the onion and expose this stuff. It's seven years later and nobody's going to go to jail or get into any serious trouble about this. Will anybody serve jail time over it? Nope. Will President Unity's DOJ clean house and prosecute anybody from the FBI over this nonsense? No way. So, from the left's point of view, this was all worth the risk. After their attempt to influence the voters in the 2016 election failed, they had to look for a new strategy to ensure victory for their side leading up to the 2020 election. In comes the ability to exploit a global, a global, not global, a global pandemic in order to change all of the election integrity laws already in place. They were able to take election day and turn it into election season. They had ballots coming in through drop boxes and through the mail before we even had a chance to see one single presidential debate. The Democrats ran a candidate 
that hid in his basement and avoided crowds, questions, and the press like a fat guy avoids a treadmill. We had key swing states change their own voting rules, going against their state constitutions to do so in order to accept unverified ballots through the mail. And worst of all, that three-headed monster of the left, the deep state, represented by the intelligence community, and the media worked together to suppress the information found on Hunter Biden's laptop about a week ahead of the election. The New York Post broke the story, and it was quickly labeled Russian disinformation by the mainstream media. Our now Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, who was working on the Biden campaign at the time, used his political influence to strong-arm members of the intelligence community into signing onto a letter saying that the laptop story was textbook Russian shenanigans. Biden used that letter in his last debate with Trump. Bottom line, the left was not going to be satisfied with simply crying, not my president, for another four years this time around. They were going to use all of their power and influence in order to steal this election for their side. And they succeeded. Which brings us back to what just happened with Rachel Rollins up here in Massachusetts. If you don't know who she is, Rollins is a Soros-funded, soft-on-crime district attorney that ended up getting tabbed by Biden to be the U.S. Attorney of Massachusetts. During her short stint as the district attorney in Boston, Rollins ended up being a complete disaster. She was in over her, over her head from the time she started and definitely not ready for prime time. Rollins was combative with anyone that challenged her along the way. Like when she threatened a reporter who was trying to question her outside of her house in this clip. Juice? Can we speak to you for one second, Ms. Rollins? You're in front of my house with we, my we, children? We literally just pulled up here. Yeah, but how do you know where I live? Oh, it's public record, ma'am. Right, okay. That's unbelievable. We're not stopping you at all. We're yeah, not, but not. my kids are inside. Oh, we never even knocked the door. We were just parking here trying to figure out where we were going, and someone said we saw you here. So. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Just happened to see you. Yeah. We did. No, we did. I, I'm going to please make sure that you're in front of my house with my children inside. And you're going to put this on oh, here. This is your house. I'm yeah, sorry. so as a black woman in this moment, in this country, you're going to put my house on the screen? No, 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 ma'am. We're just here approaching you to ask you a question. Get away from my family. Speak to me at my job. If I get hurt or harmed because of this, you are on the record for that. Or my kids are, are killed. Listen. Who do you think you are? Get This is private property. Okay, get out of here. Get out. And you no. know what I'll do? I'll call the police on you and make an allegation, okay. and we'll see how that works with okay. you. Absolutely. So the rantings of a white woman, get you here and scare my children? No, no, no. Get no. off of our private property. Here and I swear to God, I'm dead it. serious. You're I will find your name. You. you can ask me somewhere else. I can give do you not my have a camera in front of my I house. I can give you my name. Get her. I'm get them out of here. This is the Boston Police. I will have you arrested. I swear to God. My children are going to be hurt. We're just here to ask a question. You didn't even know where you live. Get you away from my house. I'm serious. When someone said we please, saw you. please. Okay, we're, we're going to step away. Thank you. Okay. Out of respect. Absolutely. Okay. That was literally one reporter and one camera. Rollins freaked out. You hear that? I'll make an accusation against you. I'll call the police and make an accusation. What's your name? I swear to God, I'll come after you. It got worse than that. She later aggressively chased down a citizen while she was in her government-provided vehicle because the other driver cut her off in a parking lot. Rollins avoided criminal charges or any form of discipline because the state attorney general at the time, Mara Haley, would never go after someone from her own side of the aisle. That would be the same Mara Haley who is now governor of Massachusetts. 
How do you think her bid for governor would have gone if she had gone after one of the up-and-coming stars of the Massachusetts political machine? Haley declined to pursue any action against Rollins because she knows where her bread is buttered. So Biden appoints Rollins to her most recent role after already knowing about her so-so history. Republican senators objected to the appointment of Rollins at the time of her confirmation. Tom Cotton, the Arkansas senator, was probably the most vocal one, but he wasn't alone with all of his concerns. Now, only a little more than a year after narrowly getting confirmed, Rollins has resigned in disgrace from her position. It turns out she was under investigation for using her power and influence to try and affect the outcome of the election for her previous position as the district attorney of Suffolk County. Kevin Hayden was appointed to replace Rollins when she failed upwards, and Hayden was seeking a full term as a Democrat in the 2022 election for the DA position. Hayden was going up against a Boston City Councilor by the name of Ricardo Arroyo in the Democratic primary. Arroyo was a friend of Rollins and a complete lowlife. Over the summer of 2022, stories surfaced about how Arroyo had been accused of rape in the early 2000s. According to the Boston police, they investigated two sets of rape allegations against Arroyo, one in 2005 and another in 2007. Arroyo, whose father was also a Boston city councilor, received support from all the typical political hacks on the left when this information surfaced. Apparently, Me Too and Believe All Women only applies when it's a political opponent in Boston. With their friend's campaign sinking faster than the Titanic, Rollins decided to try to use her position of power to affect the race. Rollins tried to leak information implying that Arroyo's opponent, Kevin Hayden, was under investigation by the federal government. Apparently, Rollins and Arroyo thought they'd be able to pull one over on the voters and make them choose a district attorney that was the lesser of two criminals. It didn't work, and Hayden won the primary, which meant he'd also win the general in a one-party city like Boston. On May 17, 2023, a letter was sent to the president by special counsel Henry J. Kerner. The letter said, Dear Mr. President, I am forwarding you a U.S. Office of Special Counsel report detailing Hatch Act violations by U.S. Attorney Rachel Rollins that are among the most egregious transgressions of the act that OSC has ever investigated. OSC has concluded that Ms. Rollins violated the Hatch Act by 1. leaking non-public U.S. Department of Justice information so that news outlets would report that a political candidate she opposed was facing a potential DOJ investigation, and 2. attending a Democratic National Committee fundraiser while on duty in her official capacity and using a government-owned vehicle. Ms. Rollins' conduct in leaking non-public DOJ information constitutes an extraordinary abuse of her authority and threatens to erode public confidence in the integrity of federal law enforcement actions. I think he could have added, instead of threatens to, has affected, would have been more appropriate. This stuff is absolutely ridiculous. There's no sugarcoating going on in that statement. She'd be getting her ass canned if she didn't resign in disgrace instead. She's also facing the possibility of being disbarred over this ridiculous abuse of power. The reason I'm bringing this story up is because this stuff is happening in real time. The left just did this during the 2020 presidential election. 
they did it during this Boston district attorney election. And they're going to attempt to do it again in this upcoming 2024 presidential election. This is the reason why I believe in the significance of the so-called culture war issues. Most of those issues are moral-based. They speak to the character of an individual, and they show you where someone's principles are. These people on the left have no moral values or principles. So they have no problem whatsoever manipulating the American public in order to rig an election. This is why 2024 is so important. We need to elect a president that will focus on and act on the need to actually drain the swamp and clean up our corrupt political system. Should we focus on someone who had his chance to do this and failed? Or should we elect someone that has a track record of getting things done when he sets his sights on it? All right, so let's jump into the rights and wrongs of the week. We got a lot of stuff to get to, so let's jump right into it. Number one, leading things off is Ron in Florida for finally throwing his hat into the ring. We all know that uh, Ron DeSantis was going to be running for president in 2024. We've known this for about a year and a half now, but he made things official on Wednesday night. And uh, we have the campaign video that he posted on the World Wide Web on the Twitter machine before he broke the Internet with Elon Musk. Uh, But here. Juice, why don't you pull that up, the uh, campaign video that DeSantis released. Our border is a disaster. Crime infests our cities. The federal government makes it harder for families to make ends meet. And the president flounders. But decline is a choice. Success is attainable. And freedom is worth fighting for. Riding the ship requires restoring sanity to our society normalcy to our communities and integrity to our institutions. Truth must be our foundation and common sense can no longer be an uncommon virtue. In Florida, we prove that it can be done. We chose facts over fear, education over indoctrination, law and order over rioting and disorder. We held the line when freedom hung in the balance. We showed that we can and must revitalize America. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. Love it. Absolutely love it. Good stuff there. Love is focus on the truth, integrity. That type of stuff. The Great American Comeback. Oh, man. Sounds like Make America Great 2.0 from someone who can hold his composure a little bit better than somebody else we might know. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to bash bash on, sorry, not bash, bash on the former president uh, because I love Trump. I really do. I like what he did. But um, you guys know I am Team DeSantis all day. I know me and the uh, truth box might differ a little bit on that one, but... Um, either man, I think, you know, I'm definitely going to support, but I just feel more confident in DeSantis in a general election than, uh, than president Trump. So that's where my head's at. And I just think, I think DeSantis knows how to wield his power. Um, I know he, I think he knows how to operate, um, you know, as a politician, 
much more skilled at it than than Trump, who is not a politician. And obviously, that's part of his appeal. But I think DeSantis will actually get a lot more done if he gets in there as well. So um, I do want to get to some more clips of of Governor Ron when he visited um, with Trey Gowdy. I think uh, I think that's who it was on Fox News. Ugh, I did have to tune in. It was Tucker's old spot. It's the first time I turned that channel on since uh, Tucker got the boot, and it pained me to have to do it. But I couldn't get onto Twitter Spaces when uh, when Ron was trying to do his thing there, so I had to tune into Fox News to listen to his first interview uh, that night. So we get some clips from that. Uh, first one here is what. Um, DeSantis would plan to do with a dysfunctional DOJ. I loved what he had to say with this one. Juice, you want to give us a clip one, cut one from DeSantis? Since his announcement, Governor, you were on the Judiciary Committee. You were on the Oversight Committee. You had a very close up view of the Department of Justice and the FBI. If you become president, Uh, What would you do to change or fix both of those entities? What are you looking for in an attorney general? And would you keep Chris Wray as the director of the FBI? No, I would not keep Chris Wray as director of the FBI. There'd be a new one on day one. I think that's very important. In terms of an attorney general, you need someone that's got a really strong backbone. You need somebody that knows if you're going in there and you're taking care of business, the Washington Post is not going to like you. New York Times is not going to like you. You're going to get attacked by CNN, and you got to wear that as a badge of honor. You can't try to please polite society because otherwise you'll just get captured uh, by the institution itself. And I think the DOJ and FBI have lost their way. I think that they've been weaponized against uh, Americans who think like me and you, uh, and I think that they've become very partisan. Part of the reason that's happened, Trey, is because Republican presidents have accepted the canard that the DOJ and FBI are, quote, independent. They are not independent agencies. They are part of the executive branch. They answer to the elected president of the United States. So as president, you have a responsibility to be involved in holding those agencies accountable, clearing out people who are not doing the job, and making sure that they're doing the people's business and they're not abusing their authority. For example, if the FBI or DOJ would ever collude with a tech company to try to censor information, everybody involved with that would be fired immediately if I were the president. And right now, I think those agencies have been able to go without any real accountability. And so guess what? When there's no accountability, the bad behavior is going to continue. Love what he had to say there. Would Chris Ray still have a job? Nope. See you later. Day one on the job. Out. (laughs) I love that. Back in the day, politicians would have been a little bit more coy about something like that. Uh, I love that DeSantis just flat out, no, he's gone. Out. So you know what you're going to get if you vote for this man. Also, I love what he had to say about the executive branch, uh, how the DOJ, the, the FBI, CIA, that stuff falls underneath the executive uh, branch in government and that they need to be accountable, that he wants to be involved with that as well. So I love that because we all know it's a crock when these politicians try to act like they are, uh, you know, nonpartisan entities and, and they're, they're not influencing it at all. But of course they are. They're involved with it. Absolutely. They just do it secretively behind closed doors and try to play the uh, don't look at me game. 
It's like uh, the the Biden administration, um, you know, pretty much every president that's been before tries to say, like, they're Colonel Jessup from uh, A Few Good Men. They ordered the Code Reds, but they try to do it, you know, through back channels, not out in the open, and they can sit back and have plausible deniability. Now, DeSantis is sitting there like, you goddamn right I ordered the Code Red. What are you going to do about it? We need to do that. Knock these people out. Send them out on the street. You don't have a job anymore because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're colluding with big tech companies to suppress information from the American public. So you're out. He's not going to hide behind a, oh, I can't get involved because it would look like it's a political act. Sorry. That's what's going to happen now. All right. How about the uh, next one, Juice? Clip one, cut two, when uh, DeSantis was asked how he would handle immigration. Day one, it's a national emergency. We'll mobilize all resources to construct the border wall, shut the border down. We're not going to be entertaining asylum claims for people coming across the border illegally. Uh, We're going to make very clear about that. Uh, We're going to have things like remain in Mexico so we don't have the incentives to come illegally. We do need to hold these Mexican drug cartels accountable, uh, and we'll be looking at levers that we can pull to be able to do that. Uh, At the end of the day, nobody has a right to come to our country illegally. We, the American people, can determine what type of immigration system that we want. I think the purpose of immigration is to benefit our country. And so if people coming illegally does not benefit, which I don't think it is, then we shouldn't do it. Um, I think the legal immigration system needs to be geared, though, towards assimilating people. We used to do a pretty good job of that. Now it's almost like we try to incentivize people to come and not want to assimilate uh, into our country. So we're going to be very strong on the border. Uh, We'll finally get that done and take care of it because Republicans have been asking about this for years and years and years. I can tell you, Trey, when I tell people I'm going to do something, I follow through. I'll use all the levers at my disposal to be able to get it done, and we will finally put this issue to bed once and for all. That's the pitch from Ron DeSantis in a nutshell, ladies and gentlemen. When I focus on something, I get it done. I don't give up. I get it done. Plain and simple. And that's what he does. It's it's true. He's got a track record. He doesn't back down. If he sets his sights on something, he makes sure he he follows through on it and he gets results. He's been a phenomenal governor. Look at the way he's turned Florida um, from purple to red. He gets done what he wants to get done um, legislatively, and he's going to take that into the Oval Office. And I love the uh, comment he made about immigration and how immigrants used to be encouraged to assimilate to this country and how that's not done anymore, and he's 100% right about that. I mean, how many people are walking around in, in... They have more pride in the country that they fled than pride in the country that they've fled to. It's insane to me. Um, I've said it a million times. Uh, My ancestors hail from from Lithuania, from Ireland, from Canada. Um, But I don't identify as, you know, having any ties to any of those countries. I'm an American. I was born here. My parents were born here and their parents were born here. I think if you're somebody like even, we're going to talk about him coming up, Vivek Ramaswamy. He was born here in this country. His parents immigrated here. 
He's proud to be an American. His parents have assimilated to America here and raised their son as an, as an American. That's a good thing, and that should be encouraged. All right, Juice, what else we got from DeSantis? Oh, how about this one? He was talking about um, fighting the woke agenda as a president as opposed to as a governor. Like, what role do you have there? Um, and let's say what he had to say. This is going to be clip two, cut two, Juice. Well, first of all, the woke mind virus is basically a form of cultural Marxism. At the end of the day, it's an attack on the truth. And because it's a war on truth, I think we have no uh, choice but to wage a war on woke. So how does that work for a president? Some of it may be the bully pulpit, being willing to tell the truth and not being deluded by ideology, which we see in many aspects of our society. There are probably ways, though, that you can make a difference. Certainly when you look at ESG and some of the things that's going on with major financial institutions in corporate America, we have every right to be pushing back on that. With education, you know, the federal government approves the accreditors for universities. There's a reason why universities are infested with things like DEI. Yes, yeah, some of it is they may want to do that, but some of it is the accreditors tell them you have to do that. Well, as president, I'll make sure we're approving accreditors uh, that are going to do the opposite, They're, that are going to say, you know what, we're going to accredit you if you are a colorblind university, if you're not trying to divide people uh, on the basis of race. So there are different tools at your disposal. It's not the same as, the, as, a, as a governor, uh, but I think you can have an impact across a wide variety of different areas. Another good answer by DeSantis. I love it. Um, you know, he was talking about how he can affect the state of Florida as a governor, but then, like, you know, where do you draw the line between states' rights, federalism, um, that type of stuff as a president. And I love what he said about how the federal government are the people that appoint accreditors per state. So if a college wants to go woke, like he said, um, you know, they might do it on their own, but a lot of times they're trying to appease the accreditors too. So if he's going to give them, you know, more leeway to run things on the up and up, like he mentioned, colorblind, that'd be great. These companies wouldn't have to try to, um, you know, placate the woke ideology of a corrupted bureaucratic system that's been in place for a while now. And he's talking about the ESG scores. Um, that stuff's nonsense. That's what's happening with like Bud Light. You know that that even though they're getting boycotted by the right, they're also now losing points in that scoring system because they didn't stand up for Dylan Mulvaney enough. So that that's like this whole corporate system in place that they're all in cahoots together to try to get scored on how they, um, you know, basically score on these woke ideology type of questions. Also like climate related issues. So do they give back to like woke corporations? Do they support, you know, green initiatives? They all get credited for, for, you know, doing that type of stuff in this scoring system. And Bud Light had like a perfect record or Anheuser-Busch. Um, and now they just got dinged because they didn't sufficiently uh, defend Dylan Mulvaney. So they got it on both ends there. But that's like a Chinese credit scoring system right there. Social forms of credit. Like, you know, who's to say that's not going to spread down to just regular everyday people anymore? So... I like that DeSantis is ready to attack that stuff, and he has a plan in place. 
All right, this will be the last one that we'll go to from Ron, then we'll move on. But um, I really liked this one. It was one of his best answers on the night. Um, so, Juice, let's uh, let's pull up clip number two, cut, cut one, and uh, see what he had to say. Yeah, so why now? And what distinguishes you from, from the other candidates? Are there policy differences, or is it more about electability and how you would implement those policies, even if you agree on them? Well, why now? I think it's because the country's going in the wrong direction. If we have another four years of the Biden administration, uh, I think some of the damage is going to be irreversible. Uh, I think we have an opportunity now, kind of like the late 1970s when Jimmy Carter was president, uh, to really move the country in a much stronger direction. Uh, and really bring a lot of bold leadership to bear. Uh, Why me? Well, I think what we've been able to do in Florida is two things. One, we've had unprecedented policy success. All the things that we believe as Republicans or as conservatives for many, many years, we've been able to take those values and those principles and actually turn them into reality every single day. We put up big wins on the board, but we're doing that while also enjoying major political success. You alluded to it. We were able to win re-election by a historic margin, over 1.5 million votes. And you can't do that in a swing state like Florida just by getting Republicans. We were able to win counties like Miami-Dade County, which had voted for Hillary Clinton by 30 points in 2016. We not only won it, we won it by double digits. We earned 60 percent of the Hispanic vote. Uh, We won independence by 18 percentage points. And now, for the first time since the Civil War era, there's not a single Democrat elected in statewide office in the state of Florida. You've got to be able to win. And then when you get in office, you've got to be able to deliver results. And I think we've been able to do both of those as good or better than anybody in the country. You hear that right at the end? You've got to be able to win and you've got to be able to deliver results. That's him in a nutshell, people. We've mentioned it a few times already, but that's his pitch. And how about what he said about the political success? He's talking about turning Miami-Dade County, which, you know, what do you, what do you say, 30% Hillary won that by? And he flipped it and turned it into a Ron DeSantis win there. He was able to get Latino voters. He was able to bring Democrats across the aisle. He was able to get independent voters to come vote for him. And that's his pitch as a general um, election candidate. He's the guy that that thinks he can go out, and I agree with him, and get those independents, those people that probably already have their mind made up on a former president that's seeking re-election. And that's his pitch. You like that subtle comp that he did to himself, to uh, Reagan as well, when he said it's like the late 70s with Jimmy Carter right now, and it's a dangerous time, and he's asking for your vote, just like Ronald Reagan did in 1980. So that's that's the way he's going. That's the lane he's uh, he's going in. And, you know, Trump's been trying to attack him from the left side of the aisle, calling DeSantis too conservative, which I think is a bad play. So... Um, it's going to be an interesting year and a half leading up to this election. Uh, I'm very curious to see how people handle the primary process, what goes on. I'd love to see him and Trump on the same stage together and uh, answer some tough questions. So, um, you know, welcome to the race, Governor DeSantis. You guys obviously can tell where where my mind is at uh, at this early stage in the primary process. Next. 
Florida was a refuge of sanity when the world went mad. We stood as a citadel of freedom for people across this country and indeed across the world. All right, this next story here that we're going to talk about is a racial murder that happened in Louisiana. Lawrence Herr is a uh, handyman working in Lu- in Louisiana who is repairing a mailbox on the side of the street uh, at a property that he did maintenance at and minding his own business, middle of the day doing some work where he was pulled up on and shot in the back of the head by two 20-year-olds uh, randomly. You know, no, nothing in Herr's past screams like, you know, violence, um, you know, criminal just a standard 65-year-old, 66-year-old man doing some part-time handiwork to uh, earn a little extra money. And he was gunned down in broad daylight out of nowhere. The two people that got arrested and are being charged with his murder are Tajay Matthews and Maurice Holmes. Um, and listen to what the police chief in Louisiana had to say about... Um, you know, why this murder was committed. Juice? Through some of the confession of Taj Matthews, who uh, admitted to taking part in the homicide, that they did want to commit a murder that day, and specifically uh, they've ruled out Hispanics, and they said it was going to be a white person. Uh, Within a couple blocks of their residence, their starting point, they did find uh, Mr. Herr out working on a mailbox, doing what he does, and, and shot him in the back. Can you guys believe that? They didn't want to shoot a Hispanic person. They didn't want to shoot an Asian person. They wanted to specifically go out and murder a white person. That was their motive. That was the reason for what they wanted to do. They had nothing else to do, nowhere else to be. They wanted to drive around and hunt a white person. Now, I know we say this all the time, but imagine, just imagine the reaction if the roles were reversed. Look at what just happened in New York City with the Jordan Neely, Daniel Penny situation. And now look at this situation. Everybody knows Jordan Neely's name. Nobody knows Lawrence Herr's name. Why? The New York situation, at least the white Marine was trying to protect other people. Jordan Neely was acting crazy, erratic, screaming, yelling, getting in people's faces. Daniel Penny simply held him down, tried to stop him. These people in Louisiana simply drove around looking for a white guy to kill. Calculated, thought out, motive behind it. Penny did not set out to kill Jordan Neely. Yet, there's people on the tracks in in New York City stopping trains from going through. Literally, protesters on the tracks a week ago. Politicians are in an uproar over it. Yet this story here from Louisiana, you'll only hear it on conservative outlets. You don't see this all over the mainstream media. You don't see this story on CNN, MSNBC. And you don't think people out there, the political class, the media, that three-headed monster that we spoke about in the monologue... You don't think those people are trying to stoke racial division amongst the people? Of course they are. 
This is ridiculous. Next. There's only one that can take their belt off on me, and he sits high and he looks low. And he is the ruler of this world, and it is not ABC, CBS, or NBC. Those agencies don't have the answers because they don't even know what the question is. Let's shift gears and go back to the 2024 Republican presidential contenders, I guess we'll call them, uh, and, and visit our buddy Vivek Ramaswamy. I told you, I'm in a Vivek, you know, wormhole, I guess, where I see a lot of his stuff because I uh, commented, shared, and liked a couple of things that he did. So I just get bombarded with Vivek stuff. But I wanted to share this video with you guys because I think it's a great pitch. I think it's a great point. Um, I will admit that it's probably a little bit far-fetched and unrealistic, but I would personally support this 100%. And uh, I love that Vivek uh, is willing to kind of go out there on a limb a little bit and, you know, advocate for some things that are outside the box. So let's hear what he had to say, and uh, and then we can uh, react to it on the other side. Juice? The Constitution is, first of all, the best operating document for a free society known to mankind. This is my number one reason why I'm on the side of not a national divorce, but a national revival, because once you have a national divorce, the Constitution itself is gone. One of the things that we don't do a good enough job of in this country is teaching the next generation what the Constitution actually says. Okay? So one of the things I favor, this is, this is controversial to some people, if you want to be 18 years old, graduate from high school, and cast a ballot in this country at a young age, you better at least pass the civics portion of the test that immigrants have to pass to actually come to this country. But revive our civic life flow. So we're going to have to think big about how we revive, it, it's not just, I don't, I don't longer just point to the leadership's failure to follow the Constitution, that's important. That'll be my job in Washington, D.C. to take on. But the real problem is, we have to have a population and a culture in this country that's committed to it in the first place. And if I had to choose between one or the other, the whole ballgame is the second one. And that's where my focus is. And as the youngest person, as I said, I'd be the youngest person ever elected to the U.S. presidency if I'm elected. I take that as my chief responsibility to pass that on to the next generation. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. It's a great idea, don't you think? How many of you out there think you could pass that civics portion of the uh, immigration test for people that want to become citizens? <laughs> I'm curious myself, to be honest with you. I, I think I could pass it, but who knows? Uh, I'd like to see what it had to say. Um, but I think that's a great point. And, you know, whether it ends up being a test the way he mentioned, uh, I think, again, that might be a little far-fetched. Maybe just his thought process behind that could help lead to the refocusing of a course like civics within our school systems. Instead of the gender theory nonsense that gets taught in public education, maybe we could focus again on how our government actually works. What does our constitution actually say? And not rely on people like Nicole Hannah-Jones from the 1819 16, 19, 32, 24 project, whatever the hell it is, and uh, rely on her interpretation of the Constitution. Let's get the actual Constitution and see what it actually says and get people more familiar with that again. So I like Vivek's thought process there, like where his head's at, and I like his focus on, um, you know, possibly pursuing an avenue for people to perform some sort of military service 
um, first responder service, something like that in order to earn themselves a vote at a younger age as well. So, you know, I would definitely support something like that. And I think he's going on the right path with that. I think his head's in the in the right place. So great, great job. Next. All right, let's wrap up the rights and wrongs this week with a big fat wrong for everybody. And that is um, the people of Pennsylvania, you know, riding Mr. John Fetterman's hoodie tails uh, to the Senate. It's their fault that they voted a brain dead person stroke victim into a position of power as a U.S. senator. Absolutely ridiculous. His family should be ashamed of themselves. The voters should be ashamed of themselves. And, uh, you know, how can you sit there and watch this? Now, last we heard from Fetterman, he was checking himself into Walter Reed Medical um, Facility, and he was there for mental health issues. Um, couldn't cope with the rigors of being a senator for 40 days. So uh, now he's out. He's back in the uh, in the limelight, so to speak. And um, let's hear what he had to say when he was trying to grill a bank executive during some hearings just this past week. So, uh, Juice, you got that clip for us? Is is it staggering? Is it a staggering response responsibility that, uh, the, that the head of a bank could literally could literally crash our economy? It's astonishing. That's like if you have I mean, like uh, and, and they also realize is that 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 now they have it's in a guaranteed a guaranteed way to be saved. By no again, by no matter no by by how, you know. So it's it's you know, isn't it appropriate that the those kinds of this kind of control should be more stricter to prevent this kind of thing from going, or should we just go on and start bailing and sailing whoever bank, regardless of how how there's their conduct is? You notice the pause there. Nobody knows what to say. The guy's like, should I respond? Uh, was there a question there? Is there even a statement there? Those sounded like just a bunch of jumbled words that, that just came out of the thin air. Stuff, words, conversation, astonishing. Astonishing amount. It's unbelievable to me. Astonishing that um, banks control people and stuff and things could be affected astonishing how can you agree sit there and 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 at the end of the day when things it's astonishing i mean come on people this guy makes um camilla harris look like a Rhodes scholar i think he's still going too juice you want to finish this one up you know i'll give you an example uh the republicans want to give a, a work requirement for snap you know, for a, 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 a hungry family has to, to have these this kind of penalties or these some kinds of word working uh, required. Shouldn't you have a working requirement after we sell your bank you, with billions of your bank? Because they seem to be more pre- preoccupied uh, when than SNAP uh, and requirements for works for hungry people, but not about pr- protecting the, ta- the taxpayers, you know, that will bail no matter whatever does about a bank to crash it <laughs> what? the tax papers i think he tried to say taxpayers he likes to say snap there snap 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 crackle and pop well still didn't make any sense by the completion of that uh 
line of questioning. So uh, that one was bad. And then how about this one? He had himself a Joe Biden moment. Uh, Juice, you got this one when when Fetterman was uh, speaking at, I think it was like a press conference, um, trying to rile up the uh, troops, get some inspiration out there for the initiative, uh, for, the, for the cause that they were going after. And uh, let's see what he had to say on that one. Juice? Thank you. Thank you, Senators. Yeah, I'm here for one simple reason. We're here for one simple reason. President Biden needs to consider using the 14th Amendment uh, if necessary. The entire GOP debt ceiling negotiation is a sad charade. And that's exactly what's wrong about what's wrong in Washington. We're playing with the livelihoods of millions just so the GOP can just turn the screws against uh, hungry Americans. This is the whole reason why the 14th Amendment exists. We need to be prepared to be using it. Again, remember, say that again. We must be prepared to, in order to use it. And we cannot let reckless Republicans hold the economy as a hostage. And an unelected Supreme Court justice will try to blow up our economy. That's on them if they have to judge on that. So, thank you. Did you guys pick up on that one? He did the old, uh, remember, repeat, say that again, because it probably said that in his speech there, the little paper he was reading from, in parentheses, repeat the line, say it again. So end of quote, repeat the line. This guy's like Ron Burgundy. He'll say anything on the teleprompter. I am Ron Burgundy? Like, come on. They're trying to give him a, a, a cue to... You know, be passionate there. Repeat what you just said. Say it again. It's a good line. And he says, repeat that. Say it again. We cannot do this. <laughs> and he's flanked by the tool from Massachusetts, Ed Markey. Hate that guy. Um, I don't know who the other guy is, but they're both in suits, at least looked apart. And Fetterman's up there with his hoodie on, uh, looking like a clown. And he sounds like a clown. So absolutely disgraceful disgraceful stuff coming from senator john fetterman from pennsylvania that my friends will wrap up the rights and wrongs for the week love doing that as always stick around because we got one more segment to go that's going to be our come on man segment of the day next hi good night everybody all right ladies and gentlemen it is that time of the show where we get to move on to the come on man segment of the day now this segment here it um you guys all know the deal by now this is when we find somebody out there who said or done something so ridiculous so absurd that even though we're going to make fun of them for a few minutes here there really isn't anything else we can say except come on man because it's just that ridiculous so who do we have today we're going to go to nebraska where a state senator by the name of michaela kavanaugh recently um stood up used her time to speak uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm already laughing, but she used her time wisely to make a very coherent, very elegant, very articulate um, argument to support transgenderism and to support tra tra transgender's rights. Um, I guess she probably sounded like me right there, stumbling and stuttering over it. But uh, yeah, let's hear what Kavanaugh had to say. I think uh, you guys, you know, might change your minds a little bit. I know I kind of am... 
against the transgender movement personally, and maybe you are too, by tuning in here, you're hearing what I have to say. Well, I think uh, Miss Michaela Kavanaugh here might finally be able to um, object to some of the stuff that I say here on the show. So let's uh, let's go right to her, I guess. Uh, Juice, you want to pull that one up for us? All right, take it away. Very, very elegant. Well said, you know, well thought out argument. Uh, I, I just, I can't help but think of the guy from uh, Billy Madison where he, he comes in at the end and uh, and gives you the old, we are, all, we are all now dumber for having listened to that response. You earned no points and may God have mercy on your soul. That's how I feel for Michaela Kavanaugh. What a tool. And uh, I, I don't know what she's thinking on that. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. What do you need trans people for? Do they have like this this special, you know, ability to, to get stuff done, to do things? Do they cure cancer or something? Um, I don't understand. And who's saying they don't matter? Somebody who has a disease that makes them think that they're in the wrong body absolutely matters. And I think our side of the aisle, the right and the correct side of the aisle here, happens to want to get help for those people, help them get through the mental barriers that are convincing them that they need to mutilate their bodies. The Michaela Kavanaugh's of the world are trying to feed that. They want to make you sick. They want to keep you sick so that they can turn you into a patient for your whole life. They want you to be easy to manipulate. They want you to be easy to rally like that. She wants to be able to do something like that in order to gain support, in order to pander to a certain type of person. And she thinks that's going to get her success. And someone as lost as Michaela Kavanaugh probably actually believes in this nonsense. But believe you me, it is something that is being manipulated. You know it and I know it. The people up upstairs, they're, they're pulling the strings and they're happy to watch this. It's absolutely absurd. You know what that reminded me of? Kavanaugh's there trying to get a chant going. You know she was hoping other people chimed in on that. She's looking behind her even at times. We need trans people, trans people belong here. We need trans people. She's doing that and looking around, trying to get some, some people to, to chime in with her. But it did, just didn't happen. Made me think back to when the Boston Red Sox won a World Series and their, uh, one of their owners, Tom Warner, tried to get a, uh, 
a chant going himself at their rally. Now, this was in front of hundreds of thousands of people at a you know championship parade celebration and uh and and let's hear how the chant went for Mr. Tom Warner because that's all I could think of when I saw this clown Kavanaugh trying to get a chant going as well. Juice, you got that one? Well, I think this is a magical day for us, the end of a remarkable season, and I would just like to start a cheer. Let's go Red Sox! Let's go Red Sox! Let's go Red Sox! Go Red Sox! <laughs> that was great. You hear that? Nobody, nobody joined in. This was people there to celebrate a championship, and that guy couldn't get people to, to you know, jump in and chant with him. That's exactly what was happening to Kavanaugh there, trying to do the trans people, trans people, we need trans people. And she's looking around like, wait a minute, wait, wait, where are you guys? Come on, come on. When I pictured this in my head, I had a lot more people rallying up here with me. I had the whole group, everybody in here stopped what they were doing and started cheering with me. Even the Republicans over there, they couldn't, they couldn't resist the, 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 the trans chant. They couldn't help themselves. They were so blown away with the awesomeness of the we need trans people, trans people belong here, chant. It was contagious. And I just couldn't help think about my boy Tom Warner there. Oh, it was great. Same thing. Exact same situation. You need to be charismatic. You need to have a little bit of, uh, you know, likability, I think, to get a chant going. And you need people to actually believe in what you're saying. You can't be some dorky owner up there who would like to start a chant here and expect everyone to, to chime in with you. Those things have to happen organically and naturally. And you can't be a politician who goes in there like a lunatic. Um, I just have a few words to say. Trans people belong here. We need trans people. Trans people belong here. <laughs> so, Miss Michaela Kavanaugh. You, my friend, have earned yourself one big, fat, rotten... Come on, man. And that's our show for today. Before we sign off, I would like to go ahead and wish Miss Avery Rooker a happy 8th birthday. Just happened the other day. We're celebrating her over the weekend. She's all excited, and she asked that her dad give her a little shout-out on the show this week. So there you go, Miss Avery. Happy birthday. Hope you have a great time. And uh, until next week, everybody, thanks for having me. show is produced by juice executive producer juice audio mixer is juice hair by skull shavers wardrobe and makeup by ashley ruka right and wrong song created by juice the right and wrong show is copyright 2022 from brian ruka